Starring Richard Pryor. With Gil Scott Heron. Shelley Pryor. Jim Henson's Muppets. A film by Albert Brooks. The Not Ready for Primetime Players. And Anna's at Chase, Thalmus Rashulala. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Pryor. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White. And this is a very, a very special episode because it is a take two. First, I want to introduce my very special guest, Mr. Robin Weinberg. Hi, fan. <laughs> yes, you, you hit it on the head with that one. We tried, we, we recorded this podcast before and there was a problem with the audio. There was a, a, a massive hum through the whole thing. So we're doing it again. And we're hoping we can capture the, the same magic we had on the first one. So I want Robin, I want you to sound just, uh, you know, excited and surprised with every question that I asked. Like I haven't asked you this one before. No problem. I have done literally nothing since the last podcast. So nothing is fresh on my mind. I have no knowledge about anything. I come into you a blank slate, empty, void, and dumb. I was going to say, speaking of empty, void, and dumb, but that's, that would be a horrible that would be a horrible segue because this was we're reviewing the Saturday Night Live episode, uh, the eighth episode, seventh, I believe, the seventh episode of the first season with host Richard Pryor. Background on ourselves: Robin and I, uh, we came up through stand up. Uh, we were in a sketch show together. Uh, Robin, when did you first become aware of Richard Pryor? And then when did you first become aware of Saturday Night Live? I probably became aware of Richard Pryor first. And when I was in junior high, many, many moons ago, back when you had cable boxes on the top of your TV and you had a little dial that you spun to get to places, we had HBO, Showtime and Cinemax and all that. And in that short window of time before the... Other networks got really interesting for a 13-year-old. <laughs> I would flip over to HBO and watch whatever was on there, which was usually something like Eddie Murphy's special, the Carlin special, or the Pryor, one of his specials. And so that was my introduction to Pryor. Probably my first one was live at the Sunset Strip. And I had no knowledge of Saturday Night Live back then. I think Saturday Night Live premiered in what, 77? 75. 75. Okay, so I would have been four. Not to date myself, but I just did. <laughs> um, so I, I had no knowledge of that. And even then, I would have been nine by the time the not ready for primetime players were done with their run. So, yeah, I knew nothing about it. Probably until the Eddie Murphy and all that and, and, and Joe Piscopo and all that. That's when I discovered them, the Eddie Murphy, Joe Piscopo. I remember when I was going to school, people were talking about this Eddie Murphy guy on Saturday Night Live. You got to tune in uh, for Eddie Murphy. And that's where I discovered it. 
And then once discovering it, I went back as well as most people did. And, you know, most people our age or younger went back and, you know, checked out the first seasons with the cast that we have now. You brought this up last time. It's like, this is the Dan Aykroyd podcast, but uh, Dan Aykroyd is not featured a lot in this show, but I must say most of the players are not featured most a lot in this show. I guess Chevy Chase shines the most. He gets the most uh, airtime. Yeah, I would say he gets the most airtime. I don't think he he really shines at any point in this particular episode. I mean, he's, he's but yes, yeah, he, he he's in almost every sketch behind just Richard Pryor. Yes, and I I, I agree with you. I don't think shine is uh, uh, was a proper word to say, but he's present. He, he's present in most sketches yes. other than everybody else. And this was a this was a bone of contention, especially for John Belushi, that Chevy Chase was getting all the was getting more screen time uh, than everybody else. And it's very evident in this one, because in the opening scene, uh, it's it's Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin just mm-hmm. playing background characters. And I don't think Jane Curtin has a line in this. She's just sitting at the table. For those of you who know, Chevy Chase would come out and do a fall, a pratfall and start the show. And this one was uh, Garrett Morris came out and did the pratfall, did it poorly. Chevy Chase did it again and then said live from New York at Saturday night. And right, and then the reason why he was doing it, memory serving, is he, he said that Richard wanted him to do the pratfall. Yes. And that was why he should do it. Which is really the only connection in the entire episode between Richard and him. In my past uh, podcasts, I've always mentioned that Garrett Morris was criminally underused in Saturday Night Live. And this episode is a prime example Mm -hmm. because he's in the uh, he's in the opening, the cold opening with Chevy Chase. He's in Weekend Update. He does his famous for the hard of hearing. Our top story. We all know that. And then he he had a bit part in um, Spud Beer. Spud's Beer commercial. And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. And I was I was surprised because I know Richard Pryor fought to get his writer, Paul Mooney. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll right. talk about that later. But I was surprised that maybe Richard didn't fight harder to get Garrett more stage time as a as a fellow black performer yeah you know i said earlier that i'd done nothing since the last time you and i recorded a podcast together and one of the things i did do is i went back and i i, I looked up garrett morris and i looked up his background and i looked up his experience and what he's done since then and, and and we'll set aside two broke girls as as thank should. god two broke Curls should be set aside and run over with a truck. <laughs> yes. I've never watched an episode simply because the, the, the commercials for it were just the absolute worst. To the extent where, like, if, okay, if those are the jokes you're putting forward to say, hey, come and watch this show, stab me in the face. I watched a Before couple episodes and you were 100% right. One of the worst written shows one of the least funniest and was on for like six, five, six years, something like that. God bless him. 
yeah. but you were talking about Garrett Morris's career. He originally, I don't know how much you've talked about Garrett Morris in the past on this podcast, but you know, he started performing when he was four or five, was singing, and then he became a dramatic actor and a writer. And he was originally brought on to SNL to be a writer, to be, I don't know if he was the only black writer, but they wanted a, you know, a black writer at the very least. And he'd written a play, Lauren Michaels had seen it and said, come be on our show as a writer. But he still auditioned and that's how he became a member of the cast. He auditioned like everybody else, even though he was already a writer. And what's interesting to me about that is you know, Chevy Chase came on as a writer. Yes, Everyone seemed true. to like Garrett Morris. Nobody seemed to like Chevy Chase. You know, I, at one point I was thinking they didn't like Chevy Chase because he didn't pay his dues like the other, you know, heavily seasoned improv performers. But no, he was just a dick. Yeah. <laughs> From all accounts, he was just a, a hard person to get along with. But and, 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 and you see that whenever he performed, you know, or whatever he did, you know, ever seen him on, on, on a talk show or anything else, he just he interrupts and he's just, you know, he, he pokes. He's, he's an ultimate second fiddle. He, he's the guy who, who's perpetual buzzkill at the party. He's trying to be the funny guy and just ends up kind of spoiling the brawl. You're, it's funny that you say that because there is a famous clip. It's on YouTube where Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor were on Johnny Carson, was on The Tonight Show. Mm -hmm. And and Chevy Chase came on first, and then Richard Pryor came out. They were both promoting specials. This was in 77. So NBC was going to have the uh, the Chevy Chase special, followed by the Richard Pryor special. So that was a different time in television. Right. But when Richard Pryor was talking to Johnny, exactly what you said, Chase kept interrupting him. And kept and kept needling him until at one point, I think Richard Pryor says, I don't like you, Chevy Chase. May I say that I have seen Richard's special? No, you may not say that. Okay. I'm very sorry. In fact, though, that I I have seen it and it's and it's hilarious. It's not quite as funny as mine, but it's really (laughs) really very funny. It's very funny. Have you seen Chevy's uh, special? I don't like Chevy. Okay, we're going to come right back and uh, take another look at the slides here right after this commercial break. So, okay. And it got, it got kind of awkward there uh, for everybody. Yeah, I think at the time there was some talk about Chevy Chase taking over for Johnny at some point. Yes, so, yes. You know, Johnny was probably loving this because, you know, he was an old experienced cat, had been doing it for forever. He didn't want some upstart. And Lord knows, based on the Chevy Chase talk show many years later, he was absolutely right. Yeah. Nobody's going to claim that Chevy Chase was a good talk show host. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, back to the, uh, uh, back to the show. <laughs> but we had the opening. We had the cold opening. And then uh, we had Richard, Richard Pryor's first monologue. And it was about uh, doing acid, which I think was might have been revolutionary for 1975, doing doing drug jokes. Yeah, I got to go back. You know, I, I, I've forgotten how Carlin did his, 
you know, we already know that Carlin was completely out of his mind on, on drugs at the time that he did the first episode. Yes, Carlin was out of his mind on cocaine, but none of his bits were drug related. That's what I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember if he talked about drugs or not. No, no, his was all, you know, his was his typical observational humor. Uh, but uh, Pryor comes right out of the right out of the gate talking about acid, getting high at a party. It's not a controversial acid bit. It's not anything, uh, you know, aggressive or 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 mean or mocking of others. It's really is a very lighthearted, very fun little bit. Once you get past the drug aspect of it all, right. I agree with that 100%. I believe you were not a you were not a drug user growing up, were you, uh, Robin? No. Neither no, I, was I. I didn't touch alcohol or anything else until I got to college. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I still don't touch it, but I, don't, I never did drugs. Can you enjoy a good drug bit? Like, did, uh, even if that you didn't, if you've never done drugs? Yes. I mean, it's, it's I mean, I, Absolutely. Just because you connect to the individual who's who's telling it and and the the story, if you will, I mean, you and I know from from doing stand up when we did, you know, the most important thing is to have the audience believe you and to connect with you and what you're saying. You know, if there's a disconnect where they don't totally believe or buy what you're saying is who you are in terms of your personality you're fucked because they're they're it's too hard for them to 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 bridge that gap and you know that's what what and i'm I'm, i may be jumping on where you're going with this but that's what made priors bit so good was because it was just it was so effortless in and watching it just felt like a good story that you were part of and that you could could could, could jive with mentally. I think uh, I think you crystallized that uh, perfectly because I don't do drugs, but I can just I'm a I'm a big Cheech and Chong fan. I love I love their movies. I love their their records because there was always there would always be these comics that would get up there and they would tell a story and they go, this is 100 percent true. I'm not lying. This is 100 percent true. And if as you were saying, if you're telling the story correct, people are going to think it's true, whether it's true or not. So that's mm-hmm. the talent of the performer. That was Pryor's talent. And I believe, and the amount of drugs that he did, I'm 100% sure that he was telling the truth when he was telling these stories. Mm-hmm. There used to be a, a, an, an open mic comic. Uh, first name was Greg. I won't say his last name. Um, but he used to go up there and tell stories and all that. And sometimes you had a good audience. His, his jokes were not awful, which is, is, is a, <laughs> a backhanded compliment. Yes. Um, you know, you're not the worst. You're just not good. Uh, but he would, he would tell these little stories or these little mini jokes. And after each one, he would say, ah, no, that didn't really happen. <laughs> and he had the amazing ability to turn any good or great crowd into a terrible one. He was the guy going up there and, and telling how the magic was done. He was letting you look behind the curtain. It's yeah, like, is... exactly. And that's you not know, what you want like, to do as a comic. Yeah. And so you go on afterwards and just be like, well, we don't believe you either. You're, 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 you're like that other shithead. And so <laughs> I think we're all going to leave now. 
and you're just going to be stuck with a drunk person not wearing any pants. That that will be your audience the rest of the night. Thanks, Greg. Good Thank job. you, Greg. <laughs> mm-hmm. After the monologue, we go into the sketch of Samurai Hotel. And yes. this is the famous uh, John Belushi character, the Samurai. And we discussed this earlier on the earlier podcast where uh, Chevy Chase is a, a guy checking in to a hotel and, and uh, John Belushi is working behind the counter as a samurai. We were talking about how Garrett Morris didn't get a lot of uh, stage time. This would have been like a perfect, even though it wasn't a featured role that would give him time. I figured let Garrett Morris check into the hotel. It doesn't have to be. It, it, it would have been a good place for Garrett. It would have been a good place for, for, for John. It would have been a good place for Dan for any of the ones who have the improv background who, who can play to the scene. You know, as you alluded to and pointed out, I didn't really realize it until I went back and, and really thought about it. You know, Chevy Chase is still mugging as, you know, he's the machine that drives the sketch along, if you will, but he's not supposed to really, really be part of it. And he's checking his watch and all that while, while John and Richard are, are, are doing their thing. Yeah. And so to go back to the cold opening, we were talking about how this, the sketch starts with Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. They're at a dinner table. And but once Chevy Chase and Garrett Morris come out, they are in the background. They're not mugging. They're not drawing attention to themselves. And that's exactly the opposite of what Chevy Chase does in this sketch, even though he's supposed to be in the background. He is drawing attention to himself, which is not what you want to do. In the that's not what the sketch was for. Not, sure. That's and, not what I don't is. know whose idea it was to put this giant tall guy in the background of the sketch in the first place. It doesn't make you know just physically it's dumb. Yes, and also not only does Garrett Morris not have a lot of stage time, but the women not. Why not make it a couple checking in? And that way, one of the women can get, even though it's minimal, it's not the best, but it's still getting uh, stage time for another cast member. Mm-hmm. And you can play with that, too, because you know, I feel like a female character could have had more interplay reacting to the samurais in front of them in a way that could, could have been humorous without distracting from what they're doing if if he has a wife what if the samurais start flirting with her you know that might yeah, have been or it. you know just having you know at some point in there having her go i don't know if we want to stay here right yeah you know just a little something to where they have the ability to see things that perhaps the guys don't in a way that's that that's humorous and doesn't interfere with what's going on Yes, I agree. I agree. But the sketch is, so Chevy Chase is checking in. John Belushi is the manager or working behind the desk. And then Richard Pryor is another samurai as a a bellhop or a bellboy. And it's, as uh, you mentioned, it's kind of racist. And it's also sort of doubly racist where he's now, not only is he... uh, 
a Japanese person or a person of Asian descent. Now he has to take this white guy's bags up to his room. I don't think I'd say it's kind of racist. It is racist. <laughs> I, I will give it some slack because, because of the day and time in which it was filmed. But, you know, if it was on Disney today, it would have a little precursor warning that it ha- has now for yeah. the Muppets and, and certain other cartoons. <laughs> so the sketch ends where... Richard Pryor and John Belushi get into a sword fight. Richard Pryor yeah. cuts the desk in half and John Belushi ends up taking Chevy Chase's bags. And that's the only samurai sketch where John Belushi speaks English. Which one of you is going to carry my bags upstairs? rest of his sketches are is asian gibberish throughout the five mm-hmm. years that he was on the show or four years and i think it worked there it worked there because they're clearly having an argument it ended up with with richard Pryor doing the gibberish and then saying yo mama and then there's a sort of beat and that's when when john breaks character if you will and says okay i can understand your point and then takes the bags up, upstairs. And it just, for, for what it is, it just works in that scene. Right. It's and, just the magic of the performances. Right. Exactly. Two guys doing, doing their best. Who, who would ultimately be at the top of their game? And would also, yeah, also do a ton of drugs. I mentioned this on the, uh, I gave Richard Pryor a, a backhanded compliment is, the amount of work that Richard Pryor did, how prolific he was working while out of his mind on blow was just Mm -hmm. amazing. I mean, he put out quality work while just blitzed out of his mind. It's uh, that goes to how brilliant he was as a comedian. Yeah. Same as Pryor, same as Pryor. Yeah. I, I mean, same as Carlin, same as Carlin. That is, I, I have no experience with that, so I can't imagine what that is like. I, 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 I have a bit too much of a power trip. You know, I don't like losing control like that. I'm 100% uh, the same way. I don't like I don't like not knowing what's going on. Now, there are plenty of people who may be listening to this who are thinking about various times when I got too drunk to know what I was doing. But that's the that's, uh, point taken, but fuck you. <laughs> You did it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so the next is we have the musical guest, which is Gil Scott Heron. Mm -hmm. And this is like way early in the show. We had the cold opening. We had the monologue. We have one sketch and now we're at the musical guest. And I think nowadays I haven't watched the show in quite a while, but the, the musical guest comes later in the show, but this is right up front. Um, during you know prime viewing time where they're having the the musical guest 
Yeah, there's usually, I want to say like four sketches at least before they get to the musical guest, depending on length. And this one is, yeah, immediate. Now, uh, they, I they, will they admit. Prior a long opening. Yeah. They, yeah, they actually, they gave him time. They gave him, his monologue was actually longer, which I can understand. He's a stand-up comedian. He can, he can handle it. There's mm-hmm. nothing worse uh, than an actor or actress trying to do a monologue it's they don't that's not their forte that's not what they do whenever there's a whenever there's a comedian doing a monologue that's fine that's their that's their wheelhouse but uh but i will admit i don't know who gil scott heron was i enjoyed the song but i don't know i don't know much about his i don't know anything about his work yeah i had heard the name before just because i kind of like jazz music but i didn't really I didn't know him well, but you're right. He's good. Yeah. I mean, now, now Pryor insisted that he be on the show. That was one of his writers, if you will. And, you know, I don't know this for any reason. I'm just speculating that maybe part of it was you had to put him up early enough to where people will watch him. Um, and, and this was when the, the show was still feeling itself, still trying to find out what it was and what it was doing. Yeah. Because as we go on, you're going to see there was a lot of missed. I think people have a. Uh, people always say Saturday Night Live isn't funny anymore. And I think they're looking through the old episodes uh, through rose colored glasses. They're, they're doing it through YouTube colored glasses where they're only seeing the sketches that, that, that you know, are, are passed around. And they're missing out on some of the ones that, as you said, we'll talk about in a minute. The, the insurance yeah. dad. A lot of these are not. A lot of the sketches from the first season and were not that good. It was like, as you said, it, we, we're, we live in a YouTube age where we don't have to see what wasn't good. Right after Gil Scott, we have the sketch Looks at Books. Uh, that is where Jane Curtin is a host of uh, a book show and Richard Pryor is on there. He wrote a book on, when did when did Black Like Me come out? Do you know... Uh, no, I should know because we had to read it in, in high school, but it would have been around that time. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, the book was written called Black Like Me, where a white person dressed up as a black person and lived, uh, lived their life, and then they wrote about it. And in this sketch, it's just the opposite, where Richard Pryor is talking about how he, he went out as a white guy. You're absolutely right. And then, and then the... the it, it had to have been before. It had to have been before. Yeah. Because if not, the guy who wrote Black Like Me totally stole this idea from, from <laughs> Richard Pryor. Well, that's okay. Chappelle stole it a few uh, a few decades later. And so did Eddie Murphy. Oh, oh, you're right. It was Maybe it wasn't Chappelle. Maybe, maybe I'm confusing him with Murphy. Eddie Murphy did it on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Right. When he hosted. Uh, but this is just, this sketch is just basically another another vehicle for Richard to do a stand-up, but he's just doing mm-hmm. it in guise as, as a, as a talk show guest. And once again, maybe it was just to get, you know, Jane Curtin, some, some uh, screen time on this because her role during a character type that she had throughout her run, she was always the host of these talk shows, you know, looks at books. Right. Uh, that was, that was her go-to uh, through the entire, through her entire run. Richard still, you know, yeah, he's doing a sketch and yeah, he's doing what is probably now in stand up a 
tired, tired trope. You know, just, just easy laughs, but he still pulls it off. I mean, even now when I watched it the other last week, you know, 40 years later, it still feels good in his hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's somewhat effortless in how he does it. And you know the joke, you know what's coming, but God damn, he was good. He was, uh, yeah. <laughs> so good. He was so good. The casual conversation between him and Jane Curtin, oh, do you mind if I get up and uh, demonstrate? And she's like, go ahead. It was a very conversational, like like something that you would actually see on a talk show, the, the interaction between Richard right. Pryor and Jane Curtin. It wasn't just a heavy-handed well, what's it like to be a white guy? Well, it's like this. It wasn't like that at all. It was very natural between the two of them. Right. And now speaking, what was that? Uh, what were we saying? Now speaking of shit or whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we have the new dad sketch. This is a recycled sketch from mm-hmm. the very first episode. And what we were talking about the last time we recorded this podcast is this is such a weak ass sketch. It's a sketch where Dan Aykroyd walks in, he hugs his family. And then the voiceover comes over and says, what happens if your, you know, your husband and your child's father die? We'll have a new one. It's new dad. And it's a very, it's a very weak sketch. And I don't know why out of all the sketches they had in the bank, they chose that one to put in this show. Yeah, it's the whole sketch is weird. For, I mean, one, there's no joke to it. It almost feels like it's just an excuse that Chevy had for, well, I'm going to make out with some woman. Who was, who was going to be his wife? That was his first wife right there. I was, okay, because that led to my next issue, which, which was you know, they had Jane Curtin, they had Gilda Radner, they had... Lorraine Newman. Forgot her. Lorraine Newman. You know, they had female cast members. Why bring in somebody from the outside to do the sketch? Why have a budget? You got to pay somebody else for this horrible joke. Robin, I, I did a podcast on the first episode of Saturday Night Live, and you basically mm-hmm. said exactly what I said in that episode. It's, we had three female cast members. Why bring this person in? And I was going to say maybe Chevy Chase had some pull, but that was the first, that was before Chevy Chase was Chevy Chase. So I, right. I, I can't believe, unless I know him and Lauren were friends, unless he, you know, he just, Lauren, can I get my future wife in a sketch? I don't know. But yeah, you just said exactly what I said in that podcast. It, it makes absolutely no sense and the only explanation that i can think of is i mean these were 22 year old guys lauren michaels was young at that time you know garrett morris was the oldest guy in the cast yeah and he didn't have much of i mean he had a he had a very good background in terms of writing and structure and all that and i'm sure the sketch annoyed him to no end but it they clearly to me did not know what they were doing you know, they, they took Monday off, or they at least took Sunday off, and Monday or Tuesday they went, well, what the fuck are we going to do now? 
<laughs> now we have another hour and a half to fill. Does anybody have any ideas? Please, Lord, <laughs> give us something. I, I, I may be giving them too much credit. Maybe by Wednesday or Thursday when they sobered up and said, what are we going to do now? Let's fill some time somehow. Yeah. You know, we, we mentioned the Carlin one earlier. You know, he had four bits. Carlin did, did his stand-up four times in the first episode. They had no idea what they were going to do at that time. Nothing. None. None. And I what feel was... bad. I, I feel bad in that sketch and a couple more we'll talk about later. Somebody had to spend the week building a set, <laughs> locating the furniture, getting everything to, to, to make that look like an honest-to-God house for 45 seconds of a steaming pile of crap. Yeah. That's what it was. There was no punchline. It was not... There, nothing to it. It was just... It was lame. Yeah. yeah. Lame is the right word. It, it was a soft handshake. Then the next sketch is... There is a series of three... I guess what we, you call blackout sketches. This was the first police lineup sketch. And it's where Richard Pryor, he's in three separate police lineups. And this, I believe this one, he is in handcuffs. And yeah, the he's, he's behind, the only black guy up there. Yeah. Three other white guys. And he's the one handcuffed. And he's the one who's kind of bandaged like, like he's been beaten up a little bit. Yeah. And the woman goes, I think it's the one in the handcuffs. And he just holds up his handcuffs. And <laughs> I thought, it, you know, for his short, you know, for a, for a blackout sketch, I thought it was. And like I said, nowadays, that's going to be kind of uh, trite and kind of, you know, well, tra well traveled ground. But back then in 75, I thought it was a funny sketch. Uh, and I thought it was nice and short and sweet. And it got to the point. Mm -hmm. You're right. It is very short and sweet, I think. I haven't gone back, but, you know, memory serving, police brutality was a, was a common topic in the news and a common issue. We were, we were coming out of the civil rights movement and some of, I mean, a few years out. And so, so those issues I still think were on the fore, but they probably weren't on the fore of your average Saturday Night Live viewer. No. Watching and George Carlin and Lily Tomlin and stuff like that. Right. No, but I think it was Richard Pryor that brought this. I, he told, I, I could see this, that sketch had Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney's fingerprints all over it about a black man being railroaded to jail. Okay. And, 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 and you can see the comedian's pace in it. I mean, there are three sketches. Each one is slightly, you know, raises the bar a little bit toward the third one is clearly really the punchline where it's just you know him and a refrigerator <laughs> and i think there's a duck and and, and right. something else I, I forgot and 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 you can see the pacing it's definitely mooney and it's definitely prior speak oh speaking of mooney and prior our next yeah. sketch <laughs> is the world famous word association sketch mm -hmm. with chevy chase and richard prior and I think when you and I talked about this and you said, I want to do the prior on SNL, I was excited because not to, to, to make my nerd self too obvious, but, you know, in, in, in Doctor Who, they, they talk about the idea of, you know, time and everything is malleable, but there are certain moments that cannot be changed that are just 
icons, if you will, that everything else centers around. And this sketch, in my mind, between Pryor and, and Chase, is just one of those immutable comedy moments that I think is just going to stand out forever and ever as being funny and valuable and important. Right. You hit off valuable, funny, and important. Because this is the, the famous, they start throwing words at each other. The reason this sketch was in here was, as you said, uh, Richard Pryor had a lot of writers on his contract. Mm -hmm. And one of them was to have Paul Mooney be a, a writer on this show. Pryor said that they had this insulting meeting with Paul Mooney before they let him on the show. And this is what they wrote because of that meeting, how, right. how poorly they treated Mooney. Also, there's also another caveat to this sketch is Chevy Chase claimed he wrote it. And then Paul <laughs> Mooney claimed that he wrote it. I believe they came to blows one time on who wrote it. And according to Paul Mooney, he said that he was going to punch out Chevy Chase and uh, he said Chevy Chase coward. And I, I'm not, I don't know Chevy Chase's side of the story, but that's what I've heard. And I can, I mean, this little we've seen of Chevy Chase and his, his demeanor and his braggadocio, I can absolutely see that. I don't see Chevy Chase ever saying he almost came to blows with anybody. Yeah. I just don't see him doing that. I, 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 I absolutely see him cowering. I actually see him trying to talk his way out of it, Fletch style, and, and you know, back away yeah and that you know memory serving when, when i read the article about the the chevy chase and prior being on carson you know prior and mooney were good friends obviously yes if if prior knew the truth as he almost certainly did no way he's going to be in any way nice to to chevy chase not at all no so uh, yeah i am 100 percent sure that Paul Mooney wrote this sketch and mm -hmm. great sketch. The punchline is they go through all these racial word, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, epithets. Epithets. Thank you. And uh, it builds up to, it builds up to the N word. Now I think, man, maybe this says some sort of the Mandela effect because, but the N word is only spoken once in that sketch. And I think over the years, people think that it might've been used multiple times from misremembering, it's like, oh, that's that sketch that had, you know, used the N-word, you know, throughout the sketch. And that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. it, it was only used once. It was used by Chevy Chase. And then after that, the, the Richard Pryor takes over the sketch after Chevy Chase says the N-word. That's when Pryor responds with, 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 with dead honky. Because before that, you know, the, the, the sketch was, was, you know, Chase is doing increasingly worse and worse epithets prior initially is trying to, to, to match him with the uh, equivalent for for white people and after a while Chevy can keep going and prior's just repeating a honky and he repeats honky twice for that you know honky and then you know Chevy says something and then he says honky more emphatically and I can't remember if, if one of Pryor's is, is honky honky. It is. Chevy Chase right. says that, something. That's when Chevy uses the N-word. And then Pryor says dead honky. And, exactly. But, and that wipes but, out Chevy completely. It wipes him out. Yeah. Much like how you said 
uh, Chevy Chase probably would have cowered from Paul Mooney if he ever confronted him about this sketch. That's, exa- that's exactly what he does. And once again, I think it was prior making a comment is most racists are cowards. Mm-hmm. If you confront a racist, they will back down immediately. If they're not, if they're by themselves, if they're not with a group of friends, if, you know, where they're not empowered by other people, uh, if you confront a racist one-on-one, they're cowards and they usually back down. Right. And if anyone who's spent time on Twitter knows that. Yes. And the joke has a punchline. It's like, you'll be the world's highest paid janitor. So it it Mm -hmm. not only, like you said, it's funny. I mean, it's insightful, but it's funny. It, it, it pays off with a punchline. What, what's still amazing to me about that sketch is just how short it is. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm spoiled. I, I, I say spoiled. I'm used to the current Saturday Night Live where sketches go on for a lifetime. So you expect a fantastic sketch like this is also going to go on for a long time. And it's just boom, 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 done, walk away. Because we get right into it. He goes, we just have one more thing to do, word association. Yeah. Yeah. There's no buildup. There's no, well, you've come in and blah, blah, blah. It's like it, bam, right to the, you know, right to the setup. Yeah. Well, I mean, the opening line is, thank you very much. You know, uh, thank you for coming out here in this interview yada 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 we just have one last thing to do i apologize it's just something we do with everybody and you're right boom off they go word association dog tree which you know maybe it's my own particular brand of weirdness i love that i love that because i could not think of two words that go together less well (laughs) and i'm sure I'm sorry, but this is just something we have to do. Right. I, I am almost positive that's what some middle-aged white guy said to Paul Mooney when he was interviewed. Yeah. I'm 100% sure that somebody says, uh, no offense, this is just something we do with everybody, which is probably something they don't do with everybody. They just did it with him because he was connected with Pryor. And having Pryor on the show, everybody was a little skittish about what would happen and, and what he would do. For sure. For sure. It's because deep down the guy asking it knew it was wrong. There's a little voice in the back of his head that just said, don't do this. <laughs> don't do it. And he's had to, he had to rationalize it. He had to rationalize it. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so here's after one of the best sketches in Saturday Night <laughs> History, we're followed by not only is it a bad sketch, it's just baffling. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's Pong and Al Franken um, and uh, and uh, Davis. I can't. Jeff Davis, Al Franken and Davis. They were. Okay. They obviously wrote this sketch, and it's just two guys talking over a game of Pong. That is all it is. Yeah, it it, it makes no sense. It, it ties into my theory that they have no idea how they're going to fill the time. You know, they, 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 they did a run and realized that they were short by about five minutes. And so Franken and Davis said, let's go get drunk and we'll record ourselves talking over Pong, just making up something. 
and throw it on the air. It, because you're right. It's just it's it's Franken talking about how he had a bad hockey amateur hockey game because there's a guy on the team who's much better than him. While he's getting his ass kicked at home. Yeah. And, and and maybe they're going for something there because you know the the, the it, it, it translates to, to, to how bad he's at Pong. He's losing Pong like nine to zero against this other guy. So maybe the joke here is, is, is Pong is an accurate reflection of actual ability in real life. But it's so buried between just layers of nothing. That's a great way of describing that sketch. Layers of nothing. <laughs> it's it was just baffling to me it was like i didn't get anything out of it if they were trying to do something sneaky something sneaky funny i missed it because i didn't get it i didn't know what they were trying to do mm-hmm. just all fell flat to me so maybe i'm stupid and i didn't know what you know they, they're comic genius well they're they're both very funny men but this just uh this did not work for me at all no yeah this made no sense to me i I, I gave it the benefit of the doubt and I paid for it. And we'll talk about another sketch later on where I said, I've already been burned once. I'm leaving. <laughs> and now let's take a break with a word from one of our sponsors. Hey everyone. My name is Chase Austin, host of the movie gap podcast. Every week we look at a new movie that my co-host Bryce Perkins. Hello. Has never seen Bryce. Yeah. Is it true that you've never seen basically any movie? That's so true. And you like to talk about them after the first time you've seen them? I love it. What are some movies that you have never seen? Uh, that we've talked about. <laughs> so you have seen now. Uh, Indiana Jones. Boom. Jaws. Huh? Poltergeist. How have you not seen that? I know. Find a new episode every Wednesday wherever you get podcasts. And now back to the Dan Aykroyd podcast. Then we have the next sketch is called Black Takeover. Yeah, another sketch that really you look at and go, okay, but there's no punchline here. I, I, I don't think this was written by Mooney or Pryor. I think this was written by one of the, well, maybe, I don't know. I guess I'll go ahead and let you do the setup on it. Then we'll, well, we'll the sketch is Dan Aykroyd plays this obviously racist father who keeps complaining that black people keep moving into the neighborhood. And the point is that they are taking over. First, they bought the Sweeney's house, and then they bought the Thomas's house, and then they bought the Smith's. Let's face facts here. They are taking over. I'm telling you. Oh, I'll get it. No phone conversations during dinner. You know that, Polly. Oh, come on, Mom. I just know it's Steve, and I just know he's going to ask me to the Christmas dance, and he's captain of the football team, and I just know he'll ask Judy Irving if I don't go, and I just know it'll ruin my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> but make it fast before your fruit of jello gets cold. They're taking over like some kind of flu bug. First one guy at the office is up with the runs, and then it starts to spread. Yeah. Mom? Dad? Would anybody else like some nice, cold, fresh whole milk? No, thank you, Scotty. Do you mind if I'm excused from the table? Go right ahead. Thanks. <laughs> that is what this black thing is like. It's just like the runs. It's like some kind of flu bug. It's everywhere you look, and there's nowhere you can go except for the solace of your own back. Oh, wow. He hurts me. <laughs> Interrupt when your father is talking, Polly. I'm sorry. 
It scares me, that's all. It just scares me. One day you're living next door to one, and the next day you are working for one. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom, but I spilled the milk on the counter. The counter that I just cleaned and shined in one motion? Gee, my neck. Holy creepers. I'll go clean it up. No, never mind, Scotty. I'll get it. It's woman's work. Thank you, Mom. And throughout dinner, his wife, his daughter, and his son, they leave the room, and then they come back as a black person. Gilda Radner, his daughter, leaves, comes back as a black actress. John Belushi, his son, leaves, comes back as Richard Pryor. And then Jane Curtin leaves, and she comes back as a black actress. So now it's Dan Aykroyd being racist in front of three three black people because when the black uh when they come back as black they're, they're still adopting the white persona so they're still agreeing with him about black people moving in as black people and that's where the sketch ends dan Aykroyd doesn't change he doesn't uh, he he's still he's still racist and maybe it's you, you don't notice what's in front of you you know he doesn't notice that his family is black now this was just another weird sketch that i didn't get i know it was a social commentary at the time about black people moving into neighborhoods and how a lot of white people didn't like that but and how deep down you know we're all the same person we're all you know maybe that was it even though what the color of our skin is we're all the same underneath so he's sitting there with these black people you know we're all the same and Right. And, and he, he doesn't realize that he's so absorbed in his own mind that he's completely oblivious to the reality around him. It, it reminds me, I can't remember if we talked about this last time, you know, Richard Pryor had a variety show for a period of time. Six and, episodes. Yeah. And it's, but, it, you, know, you know, they probably expected when they hired him for that, that he was going to have funny sketches and it was going to be, you know, a humorous show from beginning to end. But you know, he did social commentary. He, he did things that were not in the realm of comedy. Mm-hmm. And you know, perhaps we're putting our, ex, our SNL expectations on this show and being like, all right, you said you'd be funny. And, and Pryor was saying, no, I'm not just going to be funny here. I'm going to try to have a message from time to time that's going to get lost perhaps on, on some people. Yeah, you know, I think I told, told you this story about when I was doing stand-up early on, I tried to be political and some people in the audience, you know, kind of pulled me aside afterwards and said, yeah, we, we, we really like what you're saying, but maybe you shouldn't do stand-up. Maybe you should write essays, <laughs> which, which felt good. That, that, that felt real good. And it's kind of, kind of the same thing here that you, know, you, you go in expecting a certain thing to be presented to you. And when it's not, we're going to sit there and go, what the fuck is this? This isn't, this is Greg saying, oh, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. You know, he's, 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 he's not giving us, he's not connecting with us on a consistent basis of what we expect from the individual. So then after the Black Takeover sketch, it is Weekend Update with Chevy Chase. <laughs> and I've seen other Weekend Updates where he has good jokes. This one's just bad if some of his writers didn't show up i i i read an article about how the head writer at the time went to go talk to mooney in his hotel room and run some ideas by him and the the example that mooney gave was just horrible 
And apparently Mooney got so upset by it or gave him some kind of look or something where, where, you know, he took the week off as the story goes. I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> but, you know, the jokes here are just not good. None of them are good. With the exception of Gilda Radner's bit. Yes, Gilda Radner plays your famous character, Emily Latella, and it was uh, Busting Children. It should have mm-hmm. been Busting Children, but it was Busting Children. That's just a character that Gilda Radner nails. And most of the time she does that character, it's spot on. And, and, and you're right. She was the funniest thing to Weekend Update because during Weekend Update, they did that parody commercial Spud Beer, which we right. talked about earlier, where it's a beer for mental patients who can't taste. And that's the joke. It's like, you know, if you've had a if you've had a lobotomy, you'll love Spud Beer. <laughs> and Garrett Morris has a small a small part in that. And then at the end of Weekend Update, we have him doing his hard of hearing character. Right. So the doing best- it well. It's a funny character. That and Gilda Radner, you know, the best things about Weekend Update are not Chevy Chase. Not this, not this week, no. Podcast, Chevy Chase fucking sucks podcast. Yeah. I like Chevy Chase. I like his movies. I, I've enjoyed his comedy. I mean, I know it's a shame that he's been notoriously hard to work with, but I, I enjoy most of his work. I don't like shitting on him, but it was not a good weekend update. And Garrett Morris and Gilda Radner were the best part of the weekend update. I don't, where did the Muppets come in? Cause I know. Muppets were weekend update. They had the army sketch. They had that throwaway 20 oh. second sketch. Okay. Well, first of all, they had police lineup two, and that was that Richard Pryor was in the lineup and everybody else was cops. And that was actually reused in a film called Running Scared, starring Billy Crystal, who was on Saturday Night Live. I remember seeing that scene. It's Billy Crystal. And I think it I think they went as far as not only were they all police officers, but it was a male suspect and they were all female police officers that were in the lineup with him Uh, but uh uh, but yeah and then we go to the throwaway sketch or i should say another blackout sketch not throwaway sketch where dan Aykroyd plays an an army general or colonel and the gist of the sketch is richard Pryor accidentally takes a suicide pill and dies but it's it's the sketch is so clumsily handled and the way he he ends up taking it is just so clumsily written that right um yeah I mean, the whole thing was you know here take this take take this gun that's going to be your new best friend take this some other mechanism now take this pill and then of course I oh, oh and dies yeah, he goes, take this pill, and then Dan Ackery goes, now that's a suicide pill. You only take it if your life is in danger, and then he hits the floor. And that's it? That's yeah. 20, that's another. There's another craftsman in the back going, I spent a week building the set for this. Wardrobe. Okay, we have to, we got to fit Ackeroid and Pryor for Army <laughs> outfits. We got to do that. And um, 30 seconds. Yep. I'm very thankful when we had when we were doing sketch comedy, Scott, that we never had sets. We had a stool <laughs> and we had 10 people with low expectations. Yes. And we had very, very little costumes changes. Very little. Uh, Correct. 
Correct. Other than the one where we had, where we all came out as guys being, uh, what, what was the sketch we did about? Oh, oh this is good radio. Um, <laughs> I can't remember. We were all being like like ideal dates for women who were, you know, Ben was was the the misunderstood poet. Oh, I yeah. was the, you know, and we came out just wearing our boxers and normal work gear. Yeah, up top and it got as many laughs as, as we have right now <laughs> okay so you were talking about a sketch that you bailed on and uh, is this the one the muppets is this what you're talking about because this... i bailed on two i, uh, two. I bailed on the muppets briefly because i it wasn't going anywhere and i got distracted by something and i came back so it was still not going anywhere well anyway there's a scene in the show at the first year had the muppets on there and they weren't the versions that we, it's weird. They're using the voices of famous characters like Ralph the mm -hmm. dog. You recognize it as Ralph the dog, but they're playing these sexualized aliens. Um, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah trolls or, or ogres or something. Who knows? You know, it's, it's dark crystal extras. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just weird. I don't mind. I don't like. I don't like weird for the sake of weird. If you're going to be weird and funny, that's fine. But this was to me. This was just weird for the sake of weird, and nothing to me. Nothing in this uh, the Muppet sketch landed at all. Yeah, no. There were. There was. I mean, there was a couple jokes about you know sort of trite marriage wife jokes that, that you might find in a a, 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 a good handicap comic in your newspaper but that was about it the lock horns yeah <laughs> yeah lock horns uh but you're right it, it made no sense and you know we forget how much jim henson did prior to snl and he did some adult stuff and he did some really dark commercials for a, a coffee brewer way before he, he did the muppets I've, i still have no idea how sesame street came, came into being based on stuff like this i don't uh, and then you hear Bert, you know, one, one, one of the characters is, is got to be Frank Oz because it sounds like a mix of, of Bert and Grover. And, and then once Jim Henson, because like, Jim Henson did Ralph's voice. So that, so Jim Henson was doing the voice as well. So it, I, mm -hmm. I believe, yeah, it was Frank Oz and Jim Henson squatting behind the felt, making it talk. <laughs> <laughs> and look at them now. Well, look at one of them. Well, now. oh yeah, look at Frank Oz. <laughs> Rest in peace, Jim. Yes. I'm, 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 I'm crapping on Jim Henson, but, but I love him. He, 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 I grew up on the Muppets show. God bless. Him. So do, so did I. Mm -hmm. Then the next sketch is the final police lineup sketch. As you said before, it's just Richard Pryor lined up with household appliances. Right. And uh, it's, it's it's perfect. It, it, it made my day. And then the next sketch is the Exorcist Two. Mm -hmm where Richard Pryor, now last time we did this podcast, it's Richard Pryor <laughs> and another actor. And I felt that this might've been a great sketch to have Garrett Morrison. And you pointed out, which after I heard what you said, I agree. The other actor brought, a, brought something. It was, he was an older actor and he brought, brought a little weight. He brought a little gravitas to the role. And after hearing what you said and after rewatching it, I agree. And the actor's name is Thalmus Rasalala. T-H-A-L-M-U-S 
R-A-S-U-L-A-L-A. Thalmas Rasulala. And so that was the actor's name who played another priest uh, with Richard Pryor. And Lorraine Newman played the possessed girl. The reason why I'm laughing is that during the first podcast, we, we spent probably five minutes just trying to remember that actor's name and feeling terrible that we recognized him. He did such a great job. We had done all this research for Richard Pryor, and we hadn't done anything to, to make sure that we could recognize him for doing such a great job. And being in, what I later found out, something like 84 films and TV roles over the course of his career. And we had nothing. We had nothing. Nothing. And so, <laughs> and so I sent Scott a link to, to the guy's, to, to the actors IMDB so they're coming here and, and play like we you know we were deep in the know <laughs> <laughs> here we are trying to phonetically spell it out like we're reading phonetic Japanese for the yes. first time in our life but the Exorcist 2 besides word association this was my favorite sketch in the show yes uh, yeah. And yeah, this it, sketch in word association is why people look at this episode and probably think it's a great episode. Yeah. And plus uh, prior stand-up because uh, prior does, uh, I think, well, I don't know if we passed it up or not, but prior does another stand-up bit later in the show about being drunk at a party. So prior has two stand-up bits in the show and they're both you know, fantastic. But this sketch, it's, you know, Reagan, Ray Newman starts dissing Richard Pryor's mother and Richard Pryor starts off as a coward in this sketch mm-hmm. and then when he starts talking uh, when she starts talking about his mother he's like nobody talks about my mama that way and then he right. the at the end of the sketch it's just ba- the two priests just basically strangling Lorraine Newman for you know for talking about their mother mothers as a it's a very very funny sketch and and it shows Richard Pryor's acting. You know, we, we mm-hmm. talk about the, the other guy being a seasoned actor. Richard Pryor goes toe-to-toe with him as being an actor. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, and part of the joke, too, is that Richard Pryor is, is the neophyte. He's the new priest. This is his first exorcism. And then the other actor is, is playing the, the older, seasoned, experienced priest who's, who's seen everything, who's got everything under control but the joke is is as you said you know you insult someone's mama and you know all bets are off all bets are off yeah mm-hmm. what, what this i was reading a summary of this and, and it talked about you know two priests get upset by reagan's comments oh father cars i'm ever so sorry <laughs> let's make up here have a flower. Oh, what a sweet gesture. You're a sweet little girl. Jive turkey. I have faith. I have faith. You're such a little girl. Your mother eats kitty litter. Your mama eats kitty litter. Don't nobody talk about my mama. <laughs> Father, 
What? Father, what are you doing? I'm She's just innocent. What do you mean? Oh, 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 talk about my mama. Father. Yes. I'm okay. You say something else about my mom. She's such an innocent child. Your mother sews socks with smell. What did you say to the girl? Your mama sews socks with smell. And I didn't remember that her actor's name was Reagan, so I was thinking they were talking about Ronald Reagan. I was like, <laughs> what the? Who the hell? What the? Okay, yeah, I'm with you on it. I, me too, buddy. Power, but, but yeah, this is a great sketch. This this and Word Association, fantastic. And I think you and I disagree. I like this sketch more than Word Association. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I can see. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of something we did not enjoy, uh, the next one was yes. a an Albert Brooks film. Uh, during the first season of SNL, Albert Brooks would make short films for the show. And this is one where he's just filming himself sick in bed. And he orders chicken over the phone and he complains about the chicken over the phone and he calls his doctor. I mean, it's very Albert Brooks-ish, but this <laughs> is not... And I and I like Albert Brooks, but I did not. I didn't care for this. Yeah, no, this was a sketch when I wandered off. This is the sketch where where my two year old climbed into a my office chair where she likes me to push her around the house, going wee, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna go do that for a while because I Scott will forgive me. This is going nowhere fast. And I came back briefly and he's talking about what is broasted versus roasted, and I was like, no, nope, back to the chair. I'm done. <laughs> weird fact about that is the voice of his doctor was harry shearer oh okay so but uh, but that, that, that's not enough to make you to make you watch it or enjoy it other than realizing just what a what a hairy hairy man albert brooks was this sketch serves no purpose <laughs> you want to know his hairiness oh yes <laughs> then the next sketch is a weird another weird short sketch about the kennedy assassination where Richard Pryor is standing on stage and he starts talking about the Kennedy assassination and this guy from the audience stands up and talks about a cover-up. And then all of a sudden uh -huh. you hear a, a, a bullet ring out and he drops dead on the stage. And Richard Pryor says, I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing to do with this. I don't even care about this. This doesn't concern me at all. And yeah. Concern, I mean, this doesn't affect me at all. Right. Uh, there, there's a lot of social commentary in this show. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that had a lot to do. Not that, I, I mean, these at the time, as you said, all these guys were young. But this was before Saturday Night Live, you know, had its following, knew what it was doing, was making fun of the establishment. It was doing that a little bit. But I'm sure all this social commentary was driven by Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I... I yeah, I, I don't know what their point is, but I think it has to do with the fact that, that I'm a middle class white guy who had no idea what was going on at that time. Yeah. You know, I, my impression from the way Richard treated it was, was that he was trying to say, I mean, obviously there, there's a joke of white guy gets shot next to a black guy. Everyone's going to point to the black right. guy probably being it's a likely, likely perpetrator. It's sort of a callback 
to the lineups. It's like a guy gets shot and he's like, I had nothing to do with that. Right. Exactly. But then he has the other part about how, you know, I don't care about this. This is, and, and I think that's sort of uh, the impression I got was that they're, they're, you know, Oswald and the death of JFK. That's something that concerns white Americans. That's right. not something that, that we on a day-to-day basis and by, uh, affects our community or that our, our, our community cares that much about. Mm-hmm. But I may be reading too much into this. And you may be maybe, yeah. Maybe we're trying to find, maybe we're trying to go deeper than it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. And, 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 and if you're offended by, by my references to, you know, white community and black community, feel free to direct your letters to Charlie Kennedy in Austin, Texas, courtesy of the Velveeta Group. That's, <laughs> once again, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not a sketch, but the next uh, performance is by Shelly Pryor. Richard mm-hmm. Pryor's wife at the time, and she does the spoken word piece about a merry-go-round horse. Right, and I, I I'll be honest, I zoned out on that one too. Like I, I listened to it, but I, I had too much else going on at the time. But it, it didn't, I'm not saying it was bad by any stretch. Uh, it was just a, a nice change of pace. I think, you know, I think you and I talked about last time, he was married to her at the time. She was trying to get back into performing and spoken word and things like that. And one of his writers is that his, his wife had a chance to, to perform um, in her own way and in, in, introduce people to another art form that perhaps they wouldn't go see otherwise. It wasn't, sp- it wasn't funny, but it wasn't supposed to be funny. It was just a well put together spoken word piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's all I can say about it. It was, it didn't knock my socks off, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't throwing, you know, throwing fruit at the tele. Boo! Um, right. And this was 75 and Shelly Pryor was a white woman. So Richard Pryor was married to a white woman mm-hmm. in 75, which, which was a big deal, which was a big yeah. deal. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the put on my lawyer cap for a second, that was, that was several years, I think a couple decades after the, the loving case before the U.S. Supreme Court that struck down state laws that made interracial marriage uh, illegal, uh, but it still is not, you know, viewed as being the norm by any stretch. It's still controversial, mm-hmm. hugely. Uh, then we had uh, Gil Scott Heron did another did another musical. So they they closed the show out with a musical number, not a sketch. And they disclose that, you know, he does a musical number and then they say their good nights and that's the show. Yeah. Well, we were talking earlier about where is the placement of Pryor's second bit? It was between Pryor's wife and the last musical. He followed his wife. Uh, he did his second bit. So the last three, you know, it goes, I mean, basically we get the film from Albert Brooks and then we get that 32nd Kennedy assassination. Then we get Kelly's spoken word. Then we get another stand up bit and then we get musical. Mm-hmm. So the last what 20 minutes 25 minutes it's one sketch and all the rest is either musicians stand up or or filmed i mean from 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 a comedy perspective if this is the dismount they landed on their head it's good it's good it's not snl but but it it has i mean because even prior's story is not a a a stand-up bit it's it still has more of a flavor of spoken word because it's kind of a monologue as opposed to a bit. 
he's always good when he acts when he acts out his drunks. You know, the people that he grew up with that that he when he's acting in Mudbone, when he's always when he's acting out these characters, he's that's when he's at his best. And then and then uh, that was you know good nights and that was the show. And then that was the only time Richard Pryor was ever on Saturday Night Live. Which is a shame. But I mean, they, 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 they went through hell getting them on there with all the writers and, you know, Lauren Michaels had to fight with the NBC mm-hmm. folks and basically, you know, refused to do a show if he couldn't get Richard Pryor on there. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then Pryor was the same way. He didn't really want to do the show if he couldn't get what he wanted out of it with, with Mooney and with his wife and with the, the musical act and, you know, he's the reason why there was the other actor in the Exorcist sketch. Yes, he insisted on on having him on the show with him. The only thing I w- I wish Richard would have fought more for Garrett Morris to get him more stage time. So overall grade of this show, Robin, what would you give this overall grade? Uh, B plus. <clears throat> and you know, I, I I think it was a good show. It it, it still had some misses. Uh, you know, it, it had the insurance dad sketch. It had the, the, the army pill sketch. It had some real significant misses. But I give it points for really having high aspirations and trying to, to do a lot. And for the most part, doing a pretty good job at it. I will go with that. Yeah, I will give it a, I'll give it a B. And I agree with you, uh, the Exorcist 2 sketch, the word association sketch are both classic sketches. Now, seeing Richard Pryor do stand up, that's that's always great. This is the Dan Aykroyd podcast, but there's not really much to talk about. Dan didn't have a lot to do in this. Uh, in this. I guess his standout performance was uh, the opening sketch <laughs> was the opening sketch where he just where he played second fiddle to Garrett Morris and Chevy Chase. Well, I think we talked last time about, you know, I've. I brought up Dan Eckert because I felt the need to, to somehow tie him into the name of the podcast. But, you know, Dan Eckert to me is, is such a good straight man or can be a good straight man. He can be very funny too in his own right. Um, and this, this episode really kind of plays off that because he, he is the straight man in every sketch he's in. Davis. I can't, Franken and Davis. And it's not Jeff Day. I can't, God damn. I can't. Well, anyway, Davis, the guy out of Franken and Davis, Davis, he said that Ackroyd was the glue that held the cast together for those first couple of mm-hmm. years. Um, for sure. And I, yeah, my absolute, probably one of my favorite Dan Ackroyd movies is Gross Point Blank, which you've already done on this. Yeah. And he, he plays a straight man, but he still kind of ties everything together. He just fits perfectly in the role with drawing enough attention to himself without making it about him. And Tom Davis, Tom Davis, that's his name, Tom Davis, Tom Davis and Al Franken. Tom Davis said that Ackroyd was the glue that held it. So, uh, but yes, uh, Ackroyd is one of those few actors who can play it straight and, and play it funny. As we mentioned earlier, Chase was unable to play it straight as a straight man in that, samurai hotel sketch he was fiddling he was looking at his watch he was making faces and like you said he's six four so he's already a big presence on the Mm -hmm. on the screen as well i've already bagged on on chevy enough for this particular but 
<laughs> what else to say what? about him? But yeah, he's, 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 he's just, I don't understand it. <laughs> Maybe they didn't realize some of the folks that they already had. You know, you look at some of the other sketches um, that did not rely so much on him. You know, the, the first episode, the Carlin one had that great sketch about the judge and they're, they're doing the courtroom one. It's a piece of paper where she writes down what her, her uh, assailant said to her in the back alley. And, you know, it's clearly shocking as they go from person to person to person and everyone plays it straight and everyone plays it nice and balanced. And no one's trying to overdo each other. And then they get the chase and he's like, you know, he's, he's like, oh. you know, does the, the outlandish overtake. And then it, it, it just, it, I well, just everybody, so everybody benefited when chase left the show because they were able to shine more and mm-hmm. we got, we got Bill Murray. And I, could, could play characters and Chevy never really did. Yes. Chevy always uh, played Chevy. And I, it sounds like we're bagging on Chevy Chase and we're not. As we've mentioned, we both like Chevy Chase. I like his movies. I like his comedy. But that's just the lore around this episode is, you know, the friction between Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney. That's another that's thing. So this has like this episode has like a double. It's it's history because it's Richard Pryor, but it also has behind the scenes drama, which a lot of people find interesting as well, between Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, uh, you know, as I think I told you last time. You know, I read that NBC wanted to do a five second delay because they didn't trust Pryor to not act out in some capacity and prior said no way no how and 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 lauren michaels allegedly set all of the clocks back throughout the entire studio exactly five seconds so there'd be no way for anyone to figure out what was going on with that and you know i think that just speaks to all of the drama and all of the interplay and all of the skullduggery going on with this particular episode well look at this richard Pryor did this episode he got his own tv show even though it was short-lived and he got tv specials Mm -hmm. so maybe he impressed tv brass it was he did what he was supposed to do he didn't go off book provided what he promised and everybody was happy i don't know if that happened or not but he got a series of movies that came out of you know shortly thereafter stir crazy came out um Mm -hmm. You know, all the Gene Wilder movies, which were fantastic. Yeah. Uh, even See No Evil, Hear No Evil, many, 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 many years later, was still awfully, awfully good. It was. Another You wasn't too good, their last one together. But Pryor was sick at the time. Uh, uh, I didn't yeah. heard of it. it. It's called Another You, and it's their last movie together. And Pryor has the multiple sclerosis is taking all, and it's, it's hard to watch. Because Richard Pryor, this isn't Richard Pryor then. It's his body is being ravaged. You can say, you can tell that. Really Jeez. skinny. Just, he just looks bad. Um, well, on that note, everybody. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> so, yes, if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, you've obviously, obviously seen this. If you're a Richard Pryor fan, you've obviously seen this. But if you haven't, I suggest, and, and I believe Robin suggests too, yeah, check out this episode. It's the seventh episode of the first season of Saturday Night Live. It's it, it's worth watching. It's good history. Just make sure you you can fast forward past certain bits. Yes. Yeah. If you got it on a DVD, if you were paying attention, mark the bits that we said and just skip over them. <laughs> but that's it. I want to give a special, extra special thanks to my friend Robin Weinberg 
Reinberg, my friend, my friend, Robin Reinberg, Robin Weinberg for doing this podcast twice. And I think we got it in the can this time. I, I appreciate you doing it the first time. And I double appreciate you uh, coming back and re-recording it with me. Thank you very much, my friend. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Let's do it again some other time. Absolutely. We'll, we'll pick a project and we'll do it. We'll see everybody here next time on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. All right, Mr. Wilson, you've done just fine on the Rorschach. Your papers are in good order. The file's fine. No difficulty with your motor skills. And I think you're probably pretty ready for this job. We got one more uh, kind of psychological test we always do here. It's just a word association. I'll uh, throw you out a few words. Uh, anything that comes to your mind, just throw it back at me, okay? Just kind of an arbitrary thing. Like if I said dog, you'd say... Tree. Tree. <laughs> Dog? Tree. Fast? Slow? Rain? Snow? White? Black. Bean? Pod. Negro? Whitey. Tar baby? What'd you say? Tar baby. Buffet. Colored. Redneck. Jungle bunny. Pack of wood. Burhead. Cracker. Spear chucker. White trash. Jungle bunny. Hunker. Spade. Hunky, hunky. <laughs> Nigger. Dead hunky. <laughs> I think you're qualified for this job. Uh, how about a starting salary of $5,000? Your mama. Seventy-five hundred a year. Your grandma. Fifteen thousand dollars, Mr. Wilson. You'll be the highest-paid janitor in America. Just don't, don't hurt me, please. Okay. Okay. You want me to start now? Oh no, no, no. It's all right. I'll clean all this up. I'll take a couple of weeks off. You look tired.